This morning, once more, I would like to talk with you. If you would turn with me, I'll have you turn to Hebrews 11 because I intend to go there. We're speaking about the marriage supper of the Lamb and the guests at the marriage supper. And uh, there are so many blessed things. The marriage supper is in Revelation 19, the 9th and 10th verses. Uh, and it has to do with the bride, which is the church of Christ, which will be uh, Christ's bride. He's the bridegroom of the church. That can be easily seen if we comprehend that his spirit dwells in us. Uh, certainly we've been made one spirit with Christ and we're one flesh with Christ. This is a deeper relationship than any bride and bridegroom could ever have. It's a bride and bridegroom relationship to the ultimate because the Spirit dwells in us, his own Spirit, which, of course, no bridegroom can ever give his bride. And as I said before, we must thank the Lord for that, because there are the hidden things. The, you know, and all I have to do is to challenge people to really have a little introspection into their hearts, and they would know quickly that you're happy that no one else knows everything about you. It would be impossible. Only God can know everything. And, of course, uh, it's glorious to know that the bride and the bridegroom, Christ and his church, the members of his body, it says we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones, and members one of another. And this is the, this is the marriage relationship. That's why we say to the bride and groom here in front of the platform in front of the sacred desk, ye two shall be one flesh. This is the mark of marriage. You've been joined together. And in the case of marriages in this church, I'm always thankful to say, and ye two shall be one spirit, because I marry those who are born again. I do not marry believers and unbelievers. This can be done by the state. If it's a merging together of those who are unsaved with the saved, it is absolutely diametrically opposed to the Word of God, since God says no fellowship between light and darkness. He says this is impossible. You cannot have it. And you cannot join together one who is the bride of Christ and then one who is, has no part with Christ. And so that marriage relationship is a glorious relationship. And so our joining to Christ is of a deeper and holier relationship than any marriage upon earth. Closer, more holy, more beautiful, and more perfect than any other. That's what it should be. I hope it's that way in your life. You are the bride of Christ because Paul says the church, which is his body, the church, which is his bride. And in that Revelation 19, 9 and 10, it tells you that the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was given that should be, she should be clothed in the pure white linen of the righteousness of the saints. And then he says, blessed are they which are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And as I said to you, this has to do with the guests. And the guests are Israel. Saved Israel. Now, let's make a good distinction. Saved Israel. Israel that believed God. 
Remember, Paul says, all that say they are Israel are not Israel. But those which had the faith of their father Abraham. Very important. Because the redeemed of Israel, those who look to the coming of the Messiah, after all, the word Christ means Messiah. Those who look to the coming of the Messiah in Israel of old, looking to him who should come. For they know their sins were only covered. They knew that every year there had to be a remembrance made of sin at Passover. They knew that without the shedding of blood there was no remission of sin. Incidentally, I, I, I tried to have Dr. Gruen come this year and, and present to us the, the supper the uh, time of the Passover, you see. He's going to present the Jewish Passover to us. Well, I have him booked. He will be coming, but he can't come for the present. But he will be coming and showing us the Passover supper and its relationship to our great Passover, which is Jesus Christ. But Israel of old knew that their sins were covered. God had said, when you have made this Passover sacrifice, it will be a remembrance of of sin every year, every year, they had to remember their sins. Now, when we come to Christ, our Passover is sacrifice for us, you see. And this is the tremendous change that takes place. They are the guests because they've believed in the coming of the Messiah. They've looked to his coming. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus says, for the prophets of old looked to the day when I would come. You see, this is no secret. He says, this thing was not done in a corner. This has all been prophesied of, that I would come. And so these Jews will be the guests at the marriage supper. I'm not going to talk further about that except to say, now we'll go to Hebrews 11. For if there's one place where the guest at the marriage supper will be shown forth, it would be Hebrews 11. After all, it is to the Jews, to the Hebrews. And secondly, it measures how these Old Testament saints came to be in the position where God would so mightily bless them. And it's always by faith. Twenty times at least in this one chapter, it says by faith, by faith, by faith. Always by faith. Each one is recorded. Now, two weeks ago, I spoke to you about Abel, because that's the first one who's mentioned in Hebrews 11 of the men. And then, of course, there are men and women mentioned down through the chapter. All Old Testament saints, remember. This whole chapter has to do with those who, by faith, were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. Notice how gloriously Paul puts it in this Hebrews 11. Notice in the 13th verse, we'll just go over this quickly. Now he talks of all of these that he's speaking about, all of these in this chapter. He says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them, what? Afar off. Isn't that glorious? You haven't received the promises yet, have you? You see them afar off. We're waiting for heaven, right? 
We're waiting for the glorified body, right? We're waiting for the day there'll be no more sin, right? We see the promises afar off. And Israel saw the promises afar off. Notice how it says, these all died in faith. Isn't that wonderful? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things, what? Not seen. Not seen. The happenings of yesterday in your life have nothing to do with faith or the happenings of today or the happenings of tomorrow. We hear so much about happenings. They have nothing to do with this. The world's destination is for destruction. The ultimate end, if Christ comes not back for you and for me, is death. A coffin and a grave. But faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The things that happen today or yesterday or tomorrow are nothing to do with our faith in Jesus Christ because we, like Israel of old, they were looking to the coming of the Messiah and we have so much more because we have seen the Messiah come. They all died in faith without seeing it. You're living in the age of grace when it has been seen. Christ came. Christ lived and died. Messiah. So that these died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off. And notice, they were persuaded of them and embraced them. Isn't that wonderful? Have you embraced the promises of God? Really embraced them? They were persuaded of them. I think of Paul's word. For I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. You see? Persuasion. How much has your heart been persuaded concerning the things of Jesus Christ? Concerning the very promises of God. They were persuaded. These men died in faith. These women died in faith. Not having received the promises. Many of us, it means that we will die in faith not having received the promises. Beloved, your heart must be set and secure if death is not to be a terrible venture into the unknown. Your heart must be persuaded for a deathbed to be bearable. I can say that after 20 years of just ministering in this church, of watching people who died without Christ and died with Christ, and I tell you the difference is night and day. And I care not how prosperous you may be at the moment or how healthy you may be. All of this is tinsel when the deathbed comes. Nobody cares how much stocks and bonds they have in the bank or what possessions they have. They have but one thought in their deathbed. That's about their souls and the souls of their children. That's it. Are all my children in? I tell you, I just can't tell you how my heart breaks sometimes when I see people in their agony crying out to God, crying out for their family and saying, Oh, why didn't I do differently? 
Well, you know, I give you all the warning so you'll never have to cry that out. So you can be what you should be for God. And here he's talking of this great, he speaks here of Abel, who's the first one, as I said last week, two weeks ago. Abel was the first one. Abel believed God concerning the blood sacrifice. And he brought the firstlings of his flock and God accepted Abel's sacrifice. And he was pleased with the fact that Abel knew he was a sinner and needed redemption. Cain did not. Cain brought of all the beautiful things and you know, the glorious things, the fruit, the best fruit, but he did not accept Cain's offering. As I said, we must remember, both boys believed in God. But one believed wrong and one believed right. By and large, if you look at the statistics that have been gathered about people believing in God, you find that 75 to 80 percent of the people in the United States believe in God. But it's a matter of believing in God right. Cain believed wrong. Cain believed, I can work my way in. I'll bring the fruit of my hands. I did it. Here it is, God. And Abel said, Lord, all I can do is say, forgive me, a sinner. This is an innocent sacrifice dying in my place. Here is the fat thereof. Thou knowest, I believe thee. You know, there's an amazing part of that story which very few people realize in the book of Genesis, and that is this, that after the sacrifice, it says, and God had respect to Abel's sacrifice, but to Cain's, he had no respect. And Cain's countenance dropped. And here's what it says. And God spoke to Cain and said to Cain, Cain's the older son. He said to Cain, he's the older one of the two, he said to Cain, Cain, if you do good like thy brother, will I not also accept thee? And then because you're the older brother, your younger brother will have to respond to you. Imagine offering this to Cain. Here is Cain before he kills Abel. God offers him in Genesis he, twice. How gracious of God. He says, don't you see? Come the same way your brother came. Your brother understood. Why don't you come that way? Isn't this true in families? Hmm? Isn't this true in families? You have the same father, the same mother. They talk of the same gospel. And yet mothers and fathers here can witness to this. One boy listens and another boy doesn't. One has his way of coming and another boy has his way of coming. One way is right and the other way is wrong. And so believing in God... That's not it. What does James say? James says, you believe in God, so do the devils, and they tremble. He said, this is no commendation. Everybody somewhere says, yeah, I believe in God. Ask people on the street. Go ahead. Ask them. Do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. What kind of a God do you believe in? Well, I, they don't know. They're not sure. But they believe in God. Do you believe in the God of the Bible? Well, people might think, here's a good escape, and they'll say, yeah, I believe in the God of the Bible. You've given them a hint, you know. Yeah, I believe in the God of the Bible. Well, what kind of a God is a God in the Bible? Well, he's a good God. Well, how will you get in? I try my best. 
And then you begin to say, well, let's look in the Bible and see how people were redeemed. Not by works of righteousness which ye have done, but according to His mercy He hath saved us. You see? Immediately then they say, well, I can't understand that. I've been taught in my church all the time that you do your best. You obey the Ten Commandments. Do this, do this, do this. Well, that's Cain's religion. That's Cain's religion. But Abel's religion is the one that counts, you see. So Abel was the first one. But notice the rest of this. Now, the strangers and pilgrims, notice, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. I hope you confess that. You're a stranger and a pilgrim on earth. Don't get ensnared too much with this world. It might blow up any time. Why do we concentrate so much time on things? It's uh, unbelievable. We, we pile on things and things and things, even though we're living in the age when, like that, an accidental push of a button, and I understand New York and Long Island's number one. And you know, I, number one used to mean that it would fall on New York and we'd get the fallout. Well, that's no more. Now, when it falls, New York and Long Island and Jersey will be boom like that. Only one accidental push. That's all. That's all that's needed. Just one. Or one madman. That's all you need. Some people say, how could they ever do it? Well, I never found any war where anybody ever said anything else. How could they ever do it? Men who have unregenerate hearts, beloved, it could happen at any time. You're strangers, you're pilgrims in this world we live in. You're walking toward heaven. This is the glory of the child of God. You're walking toward a heavenly home. You're walking toward a new heavens and a new earth. And I said the other day in talking, in fact, it was at Fred Curtin's funeral service, and I couldn't help but think. I said, I never have understood those words so much as I do now. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. And I think people are beginning to realize that we're getting so polluted we couldn't live here too much longer anyway. Listen, I read the scientists the other day that give us 10 years. In 20 years, the scientists predict the top ones will be another ice age in this world, that the temperature is falling so fast because of what's coming between us and the sun. And this was a top scientist in Washington, that in 20 to 25 years, an ice age will be created on much of the portions of the earth because of what we're doing in pollution. So I'm glad there's a new heavens and a new earth is going to come forth. But notice this here. And for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. This is the Old Testament saints, notice. Not just us. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. I love that. You know, in other words, here you are, you come to Christ, you find him as your personal Savior. Now we're talking of, of Abel and all of the saints here in this Old Testament portion. They might have gone back to the old country. So often we can think of that. People get saved, but they get enamored. The world has too much. When they were saved, they didn't have too much money. They didn't have too much possessions. And they were content and happy and joyous in the Lord. And then 
And boy, this is the reason God doesn't allow too many Christians to get too rich because he can never trust with riches. Never. He has those here and there that he can trust with riches as Christians, but you'll never hear of too many born-again Christians who have millions of dollars to dispense. Oh, you hear of a Letourneau. You hear of a Nelson Blount. You hear of some of these men of God who gave 90% of their wealth to God. God could trust them. But, beloved, I would have to say that by and large, God doesn't give great wealth. And the redeemed of the Lord, when they're first redeemed, it doesn't matter. In fact, their possessions they're not interested in. They feel, and I know this, I saw it in church early in the history of this church, how one girl was saved. She came to Christ as a personal Savior. And within two or three weeks' time, or four weeks, I guess it was, she had bought that organ and that piano at $8,000 and wrote me a letter and said, this is all the money I possess in the world. I began a new life with Christ. I'm beginning a new bank account. New bank account. You see, why? Strangers and pilgrims and they say such things, they declare plainly they're seeking a country. And truly, if they were mindful of that country which they came from, they could go back. But now, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly country. Isn't that great? Did you know the Old Testament saints were looking for a heavenly country? Huh? You're some, you, hear, you speak to some Jews, and when you talk about heaven, they say, hey, nothing in the Old Testament talks about heaven. It sure does. When David lost his little boy, I would remind you that he went in, David the king, when he went in, and he is a Jewish king of old, when he went in to mourn the death of his son, which was the result of his sin with Bathsheba, when he went in to mourn the death of his son, his servants feared David. They said, he will come out wroth against us and angry for what has happened to his son. But he came out and his face was washed and it was shining. And they looked at them and they said, David, we thought you would be wroth with us. And he looked at them and here's what he said. My son can't come back to me, but God will take me to my son. Isn't that wonderful? That's Old Testament. Listen to Job. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and I shall see him in my flesh in the last day. Redemption in the Old Testament. These here sought a heavenly country. No wonder they're the guests at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Huh? Do you wonder that they'd be there? They sought a heavenly country. These had to die, many of them. Violent deaths. Do you think they were all perfect men, do you? Oh, no. That's why I said the title of this chapter should not just be, you know, because it says by faith, by faith. It rather should be this. When sin abounded, grace did much more. Why do I say that? Because if you look at the names of the men, you look at Abraham. What is Abraham? Abraham is an adulterer. Redeemed by God. He couldn't wait for the promise of God. His wife, Sarah, couldn't wait. So she sent Abraham into her handmaiden, Hagar, and we've had trouble ever since. 
Because of that relationship between Abraham and Hagar, Ishmael came forth and the Islamic nations and Israel, which are to die at each other's throat. A sign of the Lord coming. All because Abraham disobeyed God. And yet, what does he say of Abraham? Abraham, the friend of God. Abraham's faith. He's the father of the faithful. May I say, you have to fathom this because it's very necessary you understand. God does not judge any man, woman, boy, or girl by the whole panoramic view of their lives. If he did, he could redeem no one. Save the lost. God takes the faith. And that is the mark that redeems. Abraham is redeemed. Moses appears on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses, why should you be there? Did you not know an Egyptian? Moses could say, but by God's grace I am what I am. could look out at this whole congregation and look upon every man's heart and say, did I say to you? You tell me of victory of sin? I say if you are after it, you are in your heart you are condemned. And all you could say is, Lord, by thy mercy thou hast redeemed me. Forgive me my sin. God no man be in the kingdom of heaven. And you've all sometime. You have to stand before God and say, only by thy mercy am I redeemed. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's property, nor his wife, nor this or that. You stand before God and say, Lord, I know. Listen to Paul. I had not known sin unless the law had said to me, Thou shalt not covet. I fulfilled the others. I didn't commit adultery and I didn't steal and I didn't do this. But I coveted. What wretched man that I am, he says in Romans 7, what will deliver me from this body of my death? I thank my God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I am delivered. Did you think all those men in that 11th chapter were holy men without sin? Why, of course not. Peter says to you and to me, I am a man of the same kind of passions as you are. Don't worship me. Pastor Gian says, Don't get your eyes on Pastor Gian. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I want never to fail you. But oh, if I should ever fail you, Christ never fails. It's to Him we look. To Him, redemption. These Old Testament saints in Hebrews 11, no wonder they are at that marriage supper as the guests. You look at their names. You wouldn't put them there. Oh, I'll tell you a little about them. I want to speak to you about Rahab. I want to speak 
about Jacob's son Judah. Oh, God, to think you've redeemed such. But I'm so glad that where sin abounds, grace is much more abounds. That God is saying to you, you see, sometimes a human being comes to me, a soul comes to me and says, Pastor, again, crap. You don't know the vileness of my character. You don't know what I've done. And I said, I want to tell you something. I know what the apostles did, and I know they're redeemed, and Paul was the worst trafficate murderer of apostles. He drove Christians through the streets. Stephen, when Stephen died, martyr, and Christ redeemed him, and he can redeem you. How can you think anyone's too bad. Though your sins were as scarlet, they'll be what? White as snow. Though they be like crimson, God says, they'll be pure as wool. Doesn't matter what we've done in the past. God says, your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. They are in the deepermost parts of the sea. As far as the east is from the west, so are thy sins removed from thee. So that any soul here this morning could leave this sanctuary and your whole past life, whether you're 90 or 20 or 15, it's gone and cleansed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. And you're a free man. Enjoy God. And to say, I'm a new creature in Christ, the old. Hey! I'm a new creature. Now give me strength to win. I may fail at some point in my new life, but I know one thing. That new life dwells in me because Christ dwells in me and I am his brother. Ah, that's it. That's it. Do you know him this morning? Hmm? Notice these here. Hmm? How blessed. They saw the country, a heavenly country. Old Testament saints, profligate sinners, many of them. Shall I tell you about David? Oh, David the king. Tribe of Judah, that's it, yes. That has to be the one, the lineage of Christ. David's there. Christ is going to occupy the throne of David. Lord, you mean he's going to occupy the throne of David who sat on a throne while he was committing adultery with Uriah's wife and had Uriah killed so that he could have Bathsheba? And of Bathsheba, that relationship consummated later after the death of the first child brought forth Solomon? Yes. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable grace to us. Listen, none of you could be saved either if it weren't for God's grace. Because God's grace that saved the David and saved an Abraham and saved the Moses, murderers and adulterers, is the same grace that must save you. Isn't that wonderful? Aren't you glad? Oh, I'm so glad. You know, the trouble with us is we take the word grace and we try to change it around. Grace means unmerited favor. No one merits it. And let's never change it. Let's never think that when we're saved, then we begin to merit it. No, from the time you're born till the time you die and see Christ, It'll always be grace that saves you. Whether you're redeemed or not, every single day of your life, you're going to have to come for Jesus, for the washing of the feet, for the doing away with the sins of the day. I hope every one of you, every day, come to Jesus and say, Oh, Lord, this day, those unclean things, those things I did wrong, said wrong, gossiped, did, Oh, Lord, cleanse me in the blood of the Lamb. 
Remember Peter? Peter, thou art clean every whit. It only needs to be necessary thy feet be clean to walk in the world. And so, beloved, do you really know him this morning? His marvelous grace, his sovereignty in choosing you? Why should he choose us? I'm no better than any other creature in all the world. Neither are you. God is no respecter of persons. We're all the same. Why should he choose us? His sovereign grace has reached down and redeemed souls and brought you into the family of God through Christ. Do you know him this morning? Do you know him? For if you know him, life eternal is yours and all the sins is clean slate, wiped away. Think of them all. Don't think of them all. There's too many. You couldn't count them. Put them all upon Christ. He bare our sins in his own body on the tree. Let us pray. Now, Father, we thank thee for thy word this morning. Bless it to our hearts, and Lord, as we've looked at this glorious portion about the saints of the Old Testament, how they desired a better country. Wherefore, God was not ashamed to be called their God. That was it. It was faith. For he hath prepared for them a place. Now, Lord Jesus, we remember that thou didst say to us, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there ye may be also. Father, we pray this morning, if anyone should be here without Christ, oh, may they understand that there's never been anyone saved that hasn't been a deep sinner. There's never been anyone who is completely holy. That the great saints of God, whether it be the apostles or the patriarchs or the prophets, all of them were sinners who needed the grace of God. But their faith stood out. That faith they had in thee. Now, Lord, we pray that this morning, if anyone's come in without Christ, before they leave, they might accept him as their personal savior. Might be even now someone is saying, I want this Christ. I have a life that has to be cleansed, just like Pastor Gian did, just like everybody else does in this congregation. Pastor Gian, <coughs> while every eye is closed and everyone praying, here's my hand. I want Christ as my savior. Just put it up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. I really want Christ in my heart. Anyone, just quickly put it up high and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Yes, I see that hand. Anyone else, just put it up high and say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Anyone, quickly, just put it up and then take it down. God deals with your heart. Don't wait. Don't wait. Last night, 60 young people, over 60, found Christ at Word of Life Rally. Anyone else here this morning? Pastor, pray for me. Here's my hand. Quickly. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Anyone? Now, Father, we thank thee for thy precious word, blessed to our hearts. Lord, we would pray for that one that has found Christ as Savior this morning.
And then for others, possibly, Lord, who are here, who wanted to say yes, timidly they were afraid. Father, we pray for them. We pray that hearts might be touched for Jesus. There's no glory to us, but the glory is all the Lord's when souls are saved. And so we pray that if any have at this time thought to them her own heart, I want to be saved this morning, that just as they leave the church and pass me at the door, Lord, would you direct them to just say, me, pastor, this morning. That's all. Lord, just that confirmation that this morning they found Christ as Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.